Bonjour, Life Sparklers. It's Claire. Welcome on the Integrally Alive podcast and thanks for listening. Here we explore stories, wisdom and tools for shifting from resistance and stress to resilience and living the life you choose. And the motto of my guest today is Ece Quam Bonus, which I hope I say it right. It's Latin. My mother must be so happy to hear that. Loosely translated as see what that which is good. And Sue Martin's life has taken her through some major life changes, some of which seem to contain nothing whatsoever that is good. So her notion to see that which is good has been put to the test over and over again. An attempted suicide and waking up blind were certainly one. In the early days of her life with blindness, everything was a struggle. Support from her friends, family, community, and two amazing teachers showed Martin she could live again. And following almost a year of vision rehabilitation services, Martin became a master in vision rehabilitation and went on to serve others for over 20 years. After years of an extraordinary recovery and reconciliation with the past, she shared the simple truth of her journey in her book, Out of the Whirlpool, soon followed by In Dog We Trust, both available at Amazon. And today, she serves the Department of Veterans Affairs in the Office of Information and Technology. And she continues to speak out so that her dream of a world without suicide come true. She's on a mission to destigmatize de depression and suicidal thinking. Only when it's okay to talk about depression will it also be okay to ask for help, she says, and I cannot agree more. And she's working Quan, her fifth dog from the seeing eye, and loves nothing more than submitting one of the mountains in Acadia National Park with Quan and her husband, Jim. So you can find her on suewmartin.com and please welcome Sue Martin. Hello, Sue. I'm thrilled to have you uh, for a conversation today. Thank you, Claire. It's wonderful to be here. So today we will talk about seeing eye dog, depression, suicide, blindness. No, come on, come back. We'll talk also about joy and laughter, mountains and the beauty of life. <laughs> And actually, first, you know, I, I can't resist actually to say, to, uh, to say a word about the, this introduction. This is an introduction I always do, but I know that there are some keywords that can empty a room pretty, pretty fast, and two of them are depression and suicide. And it doesn't have to be so. These are very important conversations to have. And the, the topic is tough and hard, but it can, I believe, it can be done in a, might sound weird to say so, but in a joyful uh, way. Well, let's, let's see where it leads us. Um, but first, I, um, I would like to, to hear a little bit more of your story, how you ended up thinking of suicide. Sure. Um, I, I actually had a marvelous um, childhood. Um, you know, I, I basically grew up um, lacking nothing material. Um, 
my family always encouraged me to do the best I could, be the best I could, and excel. And I, I found joy in all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was 22 when I graduated from college, and I, I did the, um, the June bride thing and got married three weeks after graduating from college. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years later, um, my marriage ended. Um, I moved back to my hometown, moved in back in with my parents, and <clears throat> got a job in the insurance industry. And that job lasted, again, two years. I don't know what it is about the two years thing. But, well, when I was 26, um, I found myself um, divorced, um, no job, you know, back living with my parents. And I just felt that I had failed in everything Mm -hmm. I had attempted as an adult. Um, I guess, well, there's no question that there's a bit of the perfectionist in me and those feelings of failure were overwhelming. Mm. Um, leading up to my suicide attempt, uh, I had been an exercise writer for a man who, um, owned a great big steel gray thoroughbred mm-hmm. and my job was to keep the horse uh, fit and in training for fox hunting and it was it was a wonderful sort of job to get up early you know each morning and go out to the barn and ride the horse and gallop across the fields and <clears throat> when the man hunted the horse, the horse developed a bad habit of setting his jaw against the bit and rushing his fences. So he he invited me to hunt the horse and see if I could do something about this habit. And um, the hunt was incredible. Oh, it was just amazing. And for, for those... Um, First of all, let me say that this all took place in the early 1980s. And in four years of hunting, I never saw a fox killed. They either went to ground or climbed a tree. (laughs) And the the joy of hunting was the chase. It was, you know, galloping across the fields and jumping the fences and um, watching the the fox outsmart the hounds, which they seemed to do all the time. But anyway, um, I, I rode in the hunt, and as we approached the first fence, I slowed down because I figured if the horse was going to misbehave, I, I needed to have space. I didn't want to, you know, injure anybody else. Yes. And as the horse approached the first fence, um, sure enough, he set his jaw against the bit, and I just stood in the stirrups and reached up and yanked down on the right rein. And he was like, Oh, 
okay, I guess I'll behave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the rest of the hunt was great. He, I never had a problem with him. He did, he did great. But the problem oh, with mounting a horse. If I understand well. So the problem with mounting a horse is that eventually you have to dismount. Yeah, and I'll never, I'll never forget how I felt when my feet hit the ground. Um, the the whole my whole tiny world descended on me once again. So okay. every every bit of um, joy and accomplishment vanished as soon as I was on the ground. Wow, yeah. And I thought I would never be happy again. Um, that took place, um, I think, about three weeks or so before my suicide attempt. And over those three weeks, I just went through the motions. Um, I, I found no joy in life. I found no happiness, no purpose. Mm. And I finally arrived at a place where the only thing I could think of to end the pain was ending my life. Yeah. So <clears throat> I went to... Actually, this is something I would like to, um, to emphasize because a lot of people think about suicide in terms of wanting to die, but it's, it's more than anything. It is wanting to end the pain. It is, it is never about wanting to die. I just wanted to make that exactly. clear. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a really important point, Claire, mm -hmm. yeah. is when you're, when you're in that depth of depression, the end of life it is almost secondary to the end of the pain, to the end of the anguish. Um, so I, I, I really do think that's a, a very important point. Mm. Um, and for me, my life had narrowed down to such a tiny place, mm. I didn't feel like I could ask for help. I, and I know today, I know if I had asked for help, I would have gotten it. Yeah. But at the time, I thought I was unique, that nobody else in the world had ever felt the way I felt at the time. Mm. Um, So <clears throat> eventually um, I, you know, made a plan. I, I, I had the means, I had the opportunity, I had a plan and I carried through with it. Mm. Um, I would like to come back on what you say about I didn't, because this is such an important, and this is a big reason why I'm doing this podcast to give these a voice because so many people think they are alone in what they are going through, big depressions, suicidal tendencies or other, other uh, issues. 
The fact is we are more than, than likely not <laughs> the only ones suffering from that. But there is such a, I, I, actually I would have to have your, your view on that. Why is it so difficult to, uh, to ask for help? Why is it that we think we are the only one and that it wouldn't work? It's not even um, worth trying asking for help. Well, I think there's, um, there's a degree of not wanting to appear different, not wanting to admit to such strong feelings. Um, and, you know, the, the amazing thing to me is over the past, what, six years or so, um, I've, I've spoken mm -hmm. to, to lots of groups in lots of different venues yeah. about my experiences with depression and suicide. And without fail, every single time, at least one person in the audience says yeah. that they have been suicidal and it's the first time they've ever told anybody. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think the more we, the more we can talk about it, the more we can um, be real with each other, be honest and, and express our feelings and say, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, there was a time in my life when I needed help and I know if I had asked for help, I would have received it. Yeah. So stay alive, even if it's minute to minute and hour to hour, stay alive, ask for help and seek the resources that can give you the resilience and the strength to move forward. Yeah, I somewhere in an interview you gave, I also read something about the difficulty of um, going through the mainstream positive thinking. Uh, well, to me, which is a fake positive thinking, because it's more than a denial actually than a, I mean, it leads to to denial. The thing about Oh, you have to be positive all the time. You don't want to, you know, turn people down with your your struggles and and so on. And especially now with the social media and Facebook and Instagram, you won't post images of you crying. You will post only images of you. <laughs> no struggles on Instagram and Facebook. So it's so easy to compare yourself and to see people who. I mean, fake lives, because you, you see only one side of, of the life, but then it makes... Exactly. Yeah, it, I, I, difficult I really think social media can be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the, it's, there, there, there are all sorts of disabilities. Um, mm. Depression and suicidal thinking is an unseen disability. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My yeah. blindness... 
um, my blindness is, well, in some ways it's unseen because people tell me over and over again, you don't look blind. Well, I haven't figured out how to look blind, you know. <laughs> but, you know, but when I walk in a room with a 75-pound German Shepherd in a harness, it's sort of obvious. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> But it's, you know, when you, when you have a disability that, um, like blindness or deafness of heart of, heart of hearing or yeah. a, um, a mobility, uh, disability where you depend on, um, crutches or braces or a wheelchair or whatever, those are like, okay, yeah, that's a disability. Um, and there are these, um, services to help you. And, and all of those are, you know, sort of out there. Um, people are aware of them. But depression is, is different because mm -hmm. you, you have to say out loud to somebody, yeah. I'm having a problem. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that's hard because, you know, again, as you say with social media, Everybody posts pictures of themselves, oh, doing fun things and, um, you know, laughing and family pictures and activities. But that's not all there is to life. I mean, that, that is, um, you know, because of that, I think we have to be really careful with social media and sometimes... I don't do it often. I don't do it really on my personal page that much, but certainly on my Out of the Whirlpool page on Facebook, um, I will talk about um, depression and my early struggles with blindness and mm -hmm. feeling like, what do I do now? Yeah. Because when, when, I, when I regained consciousness, um, after my suicide attempt, mm -hmm. I didn't quite understand that the reason I couldn't see anything was because I was blind. Oh, I had lost a ton of blood. Yeah. Um, I was oriented, <clears throat> but I thought it was just nighttime, you know, mm. and it wasn't until oh, maybe the third day or so in intensive care that it finally dawned on me that blindness mm. was going to be my life. Yeah. And at the, at the time, I thought, dang, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is hard. I, I don't know how I can, you know, deal with, with life. Um, from now on with mm. being blind on top of, of the depression. Cause I mean, just because I tried to kill myself, that didn't magically end the depression. It was just that I had blindness on top of the, the yeah. existing depression. Yeah. And in, in a lot of ways I was lucky because I had a, an incredibly supportive family community and teachers. And I was, um, I was connected with my teachers 
almost immediately. Um, and at first, when, you know, basically in, in the 80s, there were two um, specialties in vision rehabilitation. There was a um, rehabilitation teacher, which today is called a um, vision rehab therapist, and an orientation and mobility instructor, or O&M instructor. And when I began to meet with, with my teachers, at first I was intimidated, but there was some, there was a spark deep down inside. There was a spark that I, that I listened to, that I paid attention to, that said, look, you have two choices here. You can either give up or you can learn what you need to learn and see where life takes you. Mm. And <clears throat> that, that, that's the route I chose to learn what I needed to learn, to live independently. And where it's taken me is pretty darn great. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, this is a kind of, um, I mean, it's really hard to understand from an outside point of view. Uh, it seems to be like a magical, so I'm sure it was not so magic. It was a struggle, I'm sure. To, it was a, a, a road and a path to go on. But going from, I want to kill myself. Okay, I, I try to. Uh, I fail. And then now I'm blind and nothing. I still have my, all my problems, but now on top of it, I have another one. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's incredible to, to see a kind of, um, I mean, how, how did, what was the shift? How was the, uh, how could you see that? Okay, no, now, I, now I'm going to leave. Now I'm going to do something new. It was beginning to learn the skills I needed mm. to continue to live. Um, the first steps were baby steps, mm -hmm. learning to read three letter words in Braille, yeah. um, learning how to walk safely and effectively with a sighted person. Um, taking a long cane in my hand for the first time and walking across a room without crashing into anything. <laughs> and those little bitty, those little bitty steps led to bigger steps. And it was, it was the feelings of competence that then led to feelings of confidence mm, yes. and it started a cycle. Yeah. It started a cycle. And <clears throat> I met role models, people who had been blind for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I remember when I was still in the hospital, I remember thinking, oh, I'll learn to read Braille and get a, and get a guide dog without a clue what was involved in that. <laughs> and it really it did take a lot of work I mean it it was not um, it was not um, easy it was a long process mm 
but every day that I added a skill was a victory. And I learned to savor those victories, put them all together, and begin to figure out where to go next. Hmm. I find it fascinating because it almost sounds like what could have been like the drop too much, like the disability on top of everything else, actually was the way mm -hmm. out of depression and, and suicide. It was, yes. Yes, it was. I know, it just, it seems so counterintuitive. Completely. But truly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you're absolutely right. It was, it was the, the challenge. It wasn't just the challenge, though. It was accepting and yeah. embracing yes. the challenge of learning a new, a new way of living yeah. that made all the difference. Yeah. But, and in a sense, it, I can almost see <laughs> how it makes sense. Because as you said, like in suicide, I mean, people end with suicide because they, the vision kind of narrows and while before they could see options, now there is only one and it's suicide. So in yeah. a way, now you had more challenges, which is also more options. <laughs> it sounds worse to do yeah. that way. But, mm. And, you know, when I, I, I just, um, <clears throat> a year and four months after my suicide attempt, um, I went to Michigan from Alabama to enter a master's program in vision rehabilitation. And yeah. the first day of classes, I met the man that I would marry. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that he, he has been, he's just been incredible. Our first date, we went skinny dipping in Lake Michigan. <laughs> He let he he let me drive his car. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> and Jim, um, my husband's name is Jim, and he he just he's just been our lives together have been so much fun because mm -hmm. it's like blindness doesn't even enter into our relationship, you know. Yeah. If the trash has to go out, the fact that I can't see doesn't matter. Take the trash out. <laughs> but we've had we've had so much fun. I mean, we've climbed mountains um, all up and down the East Coast. Uh, we've been skydiving together. Um, we ski together. Um, we live in Maine now, so... We've done um, lots of cross-country skiing, and I almost hate to see the snow melt because I, I just really enjoy skiing together. <laughs> and was it a total, like, there was a before and after, and then you didn't look back, or did you have down and up times again after, after well, during maybe your rehabilitation or after? Oh, I definitely have had ups and downs. Um, yeah, I've been blind over 30 years. And 
There have been times when, um, for various reasons, I've found myself um, not considering <clears throat> suicide, but knowing that I was in trouble again. Mm. And partially because of my experiences, um, you know, with my suicide attempt, I have always ensured that there are people that I can go to and say, Hey, I I'm in trouble. Um, or not, not even necessarily in trouble, just, I need to talk. I need yeah. to, um, you know, say out loud how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Mm. And <clears throat> I think it's really important for all of us to have those connections, to have people <clears throat> we can go to. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in person. It can be on the phone. Um, it can be, you know, email or instant message or text message. Um, but no, life has not been just smooth sailing. It, it's, you know, there, there definitely have been ups and downs. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned <clears throat> and I learned that, yes, it is not only okay to say I'm not in a good place. It's good. It's good to say yeah. out loud to another person, you know, I'm, I, think, um, I think I need some help. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Um, and every time I've reached out, I've gotten the support that I need. And I think that's really important for people to know. You're, yeah. you're not it's 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 almost one of the greatest gifts you can give another person to listen and support yeah yeah this is this is super important to me to uh, as a message to to spread and also um because we often think like as soon as we talk about depression and suicide, we often think like, oh, no, no, but I am not a psychologist or I am not an expert, so I cannot help like at all. But often. Yeah, and that's not, it's yeah, just it's not, not true. true. That is yeah. not true. So <laughs> what would be the best way? And I, I want to, to stress on that because I, I've, I've seen it happening. The, um, often the closest person can be the best person to to help because they know you they've seen you before so they they know how you can you can be or the person you can you are and mm -hmm. what what is the best way to to help a suicidal friend you would say well one one misconception is that if you ask somebody if they're suicidal that's going to make them suicidal mm, yeah thanks um it's it's just not true. You know, I think um, 30 some odd years ago when I was um, when I was in that tiny little space, if somebody had said to me, are you suicidal? I think it would have 
been a wake-up call. And I may not have been able to say yes right away, but I do think saying that that word out loud is it, it 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 it's not the slamming of a door it's the opening of a door yeah exactly. it's permission it's yeah. permission to say hey y- you know <laughs> yeah. yeah i i I, th- I think i am and i think i need help <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, there are so many myths about suicide that I <laughs> wouldn't know how to begin. But one being this, the idea that suicide is kind of contagious, that if you talk too much about it, we are going to give ideas to people. And that's my, my opinion. It's something that is, well, literally killing people. Because if, if we would talk a little bit more about it, people would feel more at ease to talk and to ask for help. And if you do ask for help, well, well, I think where um, the, the danger, I think, and, and when, um, when the world of suicide prevention talks about contagion, there are triggers. Um, so, for example, the, in, in the guidelines for reporting on suicide, mm, yeah. um, a, as you mentioned before, you don't you know, stay away from the word committed because suicide is not a crime. Um, if somebody dies by suicide, they die by suicide. They don't yeah. commit a crime. Yeah. And the other thing is... Um, <clears throat> In, in the guidelines for reporting on suicide, we don't need the, the harmful, um, the, the potential for harm comes from reporting on detailed methods. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that can be triggering mm-hmm. to other people. Um, and and that can be dangerous. Mm. So <clears throat> if you you know if you're going to um, report on someone who died by suicide, we don't need to know the details. Just yeah. that they died by suicide. Yeah. And always. Always include resources. That is crucial. Yes. Yeah. Um, always include, um, like in this country, there's the um, Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number, which is 1-800-273-8255. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know the the... By, I don't know off the top of my head the um, the way to chat with the suicide prevention lifeline, but if if you're going to be reporting on someone who died by suicide, always include resources, mm. 
where people can get help. And from the, um, so from all of your experiences, like going through the suicide and then uh, rehabilitation, now helping others to uh, rehabilitate in, into uh, blindness, um, what led you to write the book, Out of the Whirlpool? How did it bring to life? Well, um, several years before I wrote the entire book, I I, ha I wrote um, a body of writing that described my rehabilitation process, mm. and <clears throat> I you know I took myself back emotionally, um, physically. I I tried in every way to recreate the experiences, the frustrations, the triumphs, the victories, the surprises of learning a new way of living. And I put it aside <clears throat> because I, I just, I didn't, I knew that I couldn't do anything with it until I was ready mm -hmm. to talk about the depression and the suicide attempt. Because without that part of the story, the story was incomplete. Sure, yes. So <clears throat> in, um, let's see, I think about six years ago, I learned of the death by suicide of someone I didn't know. Um, she lived overseas, mm -hmm. but I did know a lot of people who knew her. and the people who knew my story, who also knew her, started coming to me and saying, what happened? What could we have done? How mm. could we have helped? Yeah. And it was at that time that I realized I was ready. I was ready to tell the whole story. And, you know, you would think a book about suicidal depression and blindness on top of it would be not a very happy read. But I'm telling you, I'm that, that book, um, yeah, fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> and the, my, my second little book in Dog We Trust um, it has nothing to do with mental health or, or depression or suicide. It's strictly uh -huh. a book about my dogs. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was so much fun to do that book. My husband and I did it together. And I mean, just picture us sort of sitting around the kitchen table. <laughs> well, um, you put this picture in here with this story and now, wait a minute, That's, that chapter's too long. I'm going to cut out four paragraphs. You're going to cut out my four paragraphs of my writing? How dare you? <laughs> but we, we, yeah, we got there in the end, and it's just, it's just a really fun little book. <laughs> yeah, writing a book often is quite, a, quite something. It's not just like, yeah, I'm going to write a book. Oh, it's done. No, it's a process. And especially when it's yeah. your own story. Um, mm -hmm. So was it part of your process of healing this story or 
were you already like done with this and it was coming only from a place of okay i want this truth to be spread out and i want to make things change now it was both of those things it was mm -hmm. it was a perhaps a final step in in the healing mm. i mean at the end of the book um <clears throat> oh i i started writing that last chapter 50 times oh, wow. because i i well i kept lapsing into present tense and finally i said okay fine i'm gonna write the last chapter in present tense <laughs> <laughs> And at the end of it, um, my husband, um, my last dog, Kismet, and I are standing on top of a mountain on an island in Lake Superior. And th that was such a benediction. It, oh, man, it was, it was such um, a feeling of completion, of full circle so that that was definitely part of it but the other part of it was um i just felt like and and do feel like we all have a story to tell all of us have a story to tell yeah. and as you say it, it's it's a process it took a year um, to get it right, um, and I just—I mean, my 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 hope and my dream is that if only one person can see how wonderful life can be after. Mm -hmm. So many experiences that seem terrible mm. if one person can see that life is beautiful and stay alive my mission will have been accomplished yeah I I so understand that <laughs> because it's one of the why I'm doing these these podcasts and I really do believe that we all have a story to tell, even if we don't think so, <laughs> because often we don't think right. so. We are nothing special, or, but in our nothing specialness, we are all unique. So yeah, we all have a story yes. to tell. And I, I really yes. witnessed, through my own story actually, when I began to kind of own my, my story and go past the, the shame and the guilt I was feeling and being, learning to be okay with my, with my life story. And the people I, I host on the show and my clients, I, I've seen so many times that the moment we are actually ready to own this story and not, not necessarily on a very public <laughs> scale, but at least not to hide from it anyway. Um, anyway yes. That's a turning point. Embrace wow, it. Embrace it. It's, yes. it, it's, all, it. it's all part of what makes us human beings and yeah. all woven together that that's <clears throat> you know even even though we've never met i mean physically shaking hands or whatever <laughs> we're still <laughs> we're still you and i are part of the 
fabric of humanity. Mm. And we're all beautiful. We're all beautiful in our own way. Yeah. And actually, I love what you said about writing this last chapter present tense. It's like turning the page of, okay, this is my past story and there is a, a long, long years before me as well. I mean, it's like literally turning the, the page. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what were the reactions to your book? From, or maybe actually, was it a, uh, a concern when you were writing the book? I mean, I know for myself, for example, when I, when I chose to go public and really public <laughs> about my story, because uh -huh. it has a lot to do with my family. That was a concern of mine. Uh -huh. And that's something that kind of kept me back for some time. Yes. Yes. And uh, that, that was, um, reading my story was probably hardest for my family. Mm. Um, I, tr I, I tried in every way I could to be um, sensitive and aware of my family's feelings. And I, I hope I succeeded. I, I mean, nobody's disowned me yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> But really, I mean, for the most part, um, the, the reception has been very positive. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think in, in, inside of us all, I think we all root for each other. You know, we yeah. pull for each other. Yeah. And that's the human instinct that, I, I really um, want to kindle and nurture and encourage um, because there's just so much negativity in the world these days that recognizing our common humanity, our common bonds, yes. um, the experiences we share, I, I, I just... I think it's just so much um, better to focus on on those things than our differences. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. And this is also a, a constant I've seen in because again over the over time I, I heard a lot of people a lot of um, feedback from people having in some way or another through a book or a podcast or, or whatever made their story public and there was a concern in the beginning of oh my god i hope people are going to react well to that what am i doing uh -huh. and always 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 the feedback was positive and people were kind of relieved to to see uh -huh. this out and i, I think it's exactly yes that you said we may have different life stories like the, the variations are a bit different but behind that we all share the same emotions we all share the same human experience and I think people are really they react to that when they they can see that as you say I love what, how you say you say talking the truth telling the truth there people can see and feel when it's happening and they react to that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
and the experience is always positive. And a lot of time, actually, it, it kind of gives permissions to, to others to, uh, to tell the truth as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So actually, I would love to hear more about, because I loved it, the subtitle of your blog, you know, to see that which is good. And uh -huh. you, somewhere you wrote, life is full of events which seem terrible on the surface, yet within such events may still be found goodness and hope. How would you, um, how did you find that in the end? And it seems such a paradox and I'm, I, will, I, I stopped to, to that because it's something that when we see someone struggling with depression or, or even not depression, but seeing, seeing going through a struggle, it's really tempting to, I mean, because we can see it, life is beautiful. <laughs> so it's really tempting to see, but can't you see life is beautiful? But how do you, how do you transmit this to, to someone that doesn't really quite see that on the, on the moment? Well, I think, well, first of all, um, Eche Quam Donum is the inscription oh, yeah. in the seal of my college, the University of the South. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, a small liberal arts college in Tennessee. And for four years, I was steeped in that inscription, Eche Quam Donum. Mm -hmm. And it just became a part of me, a part of who I am. And, you know, I think um, there have been times in my life when I could see nothing whatsoever that was good. <laughs> um, and, and the, I, I would never say to somebody, um, oh, just pull yourself together or, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, life eventually will be good again or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, there's nothing productive no. in that kind of statement to somebody who um, is in pain. And when, when I came to embrace Eche Quam Bonum again, because I did lose sight of it. I did lose sight of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I came to embrace it again was, um, I think when, you know, adjusting to um, becoming blind as an adult is not something that you just do. You don't mm -hmm. wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm adjusted. Um, <laughs> It's it's something that you you sort of raise your head and look around at some point and say, hmm, yeah, blindness isn't so bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I I think the 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 first time I had that visceral experience was when I re-embraced Eche Quam Bonum. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's not, it's, it's, it's not something that I would say to somebody who 
is in pain. It's, it would be it's, totally contraproductive. I mean, it, it would be yes, like beyond irony. No, no, but it's, it's this feeling of you can see that they need to reconnect with that and saying mm -hmm. it so directly won't work at, at the contrary. So what is the bridge, you know? between this feeling of, yeah, it, life is worth living, and, yo, know, I cannot tell it like that now. <laughs> right, and, and it's that, you know, that, that's kind of a sentiment for exploration mm. at a different point in someone's journey, mm. not, not at the, um, the point of greatest pain and feelings of separation and, um, isolation that that's that's not the point for discussion of that sentiment <laughs> you know it it, <clears throat> it it can come in its own time and I think it it just does come in its own time after a while so going with tiny steps first mm -hmm. yeah and boy believe me those first steps were tiny <laughs> <laughs> Now you are I running. <laughs> well, I, I just, the, 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 the point is that I kept putting one foot in front of the other. Mm, yeah. You know, even though at times every step seemed like a struggle, yeah. especially in those early days of, of adjustment. But from that feeling of every step being a struggle, you know, I, now I climb mountains. Yeah. And I climb those mountains with, with a man who loves me and supports me mm. and a dog that I love and I trust. <laughs> We're a team. Yeah, right. And we need that. We need community. Yes. Um, yeah, I was telling you, I, I love something you wrote in one interview, actually. I, I read it. And you were saying to me, the big story, this is not my suicide, is that 30 years ago, I didn't think life was worth living. And today I can't wait to get out of bed and see what I can get into. And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's... You seem to have such, um, well, you, you went through a few phases in your life and you have a, an incredible story and you're not defined by any one of these steps. They made who you are today, but yeah. it is not who you are. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, I know that I am not extraordinary. Mm. I, I'm just an ordinary person that did what I needed to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, wh where, where it landed me is, um, is pretty fine. It really is. Mm. I can hear that in your, um, I mean, and I, I guess everyone can, in your, um, in your voice. 
it's just so clear. <laughs> we, we can hear the, the joy in your voice. It's, uh... um, what is the one thing you wish someone told you back when you were struggling way before? That would have made the most difference. Um, that, I, that I wasn't alone. Hmm. That many people before me had walked the same path and had come out on the other side. Hmm. There's always hope. There is always hope. But in order for there to be hope, there has to be life. Yeah. Well, this is like, this sounds like the perfect conclusion, but is it anything you would like to add that we didn't touch upon? Uh, gosh, I don't know. I, this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> it has, um, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I think um, while, while, I am very um, happy with with the way my life is today, mm -mm. with um, with my job, with you know living on a lake and on the coast of Maine, uh, you know, with my husband and and my dog Quan. I think it's important <clears throat> um, to remember where I came from. Yeah. And telling my story um, gives me, it, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to remember where I came from and to revel in where I am today. Mm. And I have one last question, which is the ritual on this podcast. And this is, mm -hmm. what makes you feel alive? Oh, wow. So many things. So many things. Um, you know, the, the, the birds in the morning, um, the, the, the soft fall of, um, of snow, um, my husband's arms around me, my fuzzy dog. <laughs> Uh, even, yeah, even, um, even in my job, um, because I work for the Department of Veterans Affairs in the Office of Information Technology, mm -hmm. I have to make um, pretty sophisticated use of technology. And this is going to sound kind of nuts, but I just love flying a computer like a fighter jet. <laughs> I, I I I like to cook. I mean, you know, when I when I produce an um a souffle that doesn't fall, I feel alive. <laughs> everything, everything. It's just such a joy to to be on this earth and sharing it with people and dogs that I love. Oh, I love that you have an endless list of what makes you feel alive. I love that. 
So it's a recipe <laughs> for, I mean, you can't fail when you have such a long list. There is always be something on the list that is happening right now. <laughs> well, and if you ask me tomorrow, it might be a completely different list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> wow, yeah. very great conversation, very inspiring. Uh, as you said, it was also a lot of fun. And um, anyway, Sarah Stu, I, I love that a lot of things you shared and I feel that needs to be heard. So I really thank you for, uh, for that. Um, oh, it was completely my pleasure, Claire. <laughs> So really, it was my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. We're going to wrap up this conversation for now. Um, make sure you check Sue Martins uh, for further info. So this can be on a blog, outofthewillpool.com or on our website, suewmartin.com. If you want to contact her, Better to do so on our email, sue.martin at windstream.net or on her Facebook page, Out of the Whirlpool. And go and, and buy, uh, buy our books, really. Out of the Whirlpool and In Job We Trust, they're on Amazon. And yeah, they're, I mean, you heard this from the podcast. She's just a, <laughs> a very inspiring lady to listen to me. Of course, all these links will be in the show notes on the website integrallyalive.com. And that's it. That's the end of this episode. So thank you so much again for being with us, for sharing your story, for beyond this podcast, for sharing your story in, in the world. Because it's, I mean, we, we said it a few times, but we cannot, I cannot emphasize on this enough. It is so important to speak about these matters. It, it's death is part of life, and we need to face that it's it's happening. And there's a life after depression, and it's not the end. So thank you very much for what you're doing. No, it's it's a beginning, and I really thank you for inviting me, Claire. Thank you so much. Well, it was my pleasure, really. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like what you hear, check the website integrallyalive.com for the show notes. Leave a comment. I love reading your feedback. Subscribe to the podcast and rate it on iTunes so you will help more people get access to this information. Until next time. Until then, keep sparking life and going from a live dish to a live. Bye-bye. À bientôt.